Tamala Nicole Wells, Nikki to those who loved her most, was a 33-year-old woman from Detroit, Michigan. She was her mother's best friend who was planning to move to Florida to live with her. On August 6, 2012, Nikki allegedly left her home she shared with her boyfriend. Nikki was driving a Pontiac Grand Prix. The car was found days later. She was never seen again. I'm Ed Denzel, and this is Unfound. know what pain is, and I think I've been arrogant for most of my life to think that I do. Oh no, don't get me wrong. I've had infected wisdom teeth and food poisoning and the occasional sinus headache that splits my skull, although I've never had a broken bone. Maybe I'm secretly David Dunn. You can look that reference up. The kind of pain I'm talking about is the emotional kind. In fact, I'm a complete neophyte compared to the guests on Unfound. Yes, I've had loss in my life. All of my grandparents who I was very close to are gone. Over 20 years in the past now. I've also had family members who had cancer and heart issues, where things were touch and go for a while. And I'm sure all of you have experienced similar situations. But the depth of tragedy that is expressed weekly on Unfound, the not knowing, the suspicion, the paranoia, on top of the feeling of loss... I'm not sure anyone outside people who have experienced a disappearance firsthand can ever really know. I bring this up because you're going to hear from a woman in pain today. She knows pain. She is filled with sorrow as much as any guest you've heard on this program. And she wants answers concerning the disappearance of Nikki Wells. She doesn't want to know pain anymore. And now a summary of the case. This is brought to you by my friend Megan Goodsight, charlieproject.org. Nikki Wells was last seen leaving her home on Appleton Street in Detroit, Michigan at 9.30 p.m. on August 6, 2012. She was driving her four-door Pontiac Grand Prix at the time. Wells never returned home and has never been heard from again. Three days later, her Pontiac was found abandoned on Coventry between Emory and Lance Streets just a few blocks from her residence. Nikki left behind two children. She lived with Ricky Tennant, her boyfriend of 15 years. In a media interview, Ricky stated Wells gave him a headache and implied he was glad she was gone. Police questioned Ricky after her disappearance, but found no evidence to implicate him. Nikki graduated from nursing school and worked in the home health care field at the time of her disappearance. Although there's no evidence of a crime in Nikki's case, her family suspects foul play. Her case remains unsolved. The interview for this episode is with Nikki's mother, Donna Davis. Unfound News. The first collaborative article between Unfound and Trib Total Media is coming out this Sunday, January 28th. I hope you will all check it out. It's the disappearance of Amy Pugner in Washington, PA in 2010. In fact, after my interview with Donna Davis for this episode, you will hear my additional interview with a writer for the Tribune Review in Pittsburgh, Stephen Huba, as we preview the article about Amy. 
Next, already for 2018, Unfound has been in contact with two TV producers who contacted me in 2017. Hopefully we can put a project together, either fiction or nonfiction, that accurately represents the reality of missing persons cases in the 21st century. In addition, myself and my business partner, who is going to remain a secret at this point, also have some other ideas we're going to be working on to put missing persons cases in front of more people. Lastly, and getting back to Trib Total Media, yours truly ended up on the front page above the fold on its printed edition, the Tribune Review, in Pittsburgh on January 21st, this past Sunday. Nobody was more surprised than I was. I was told that my parents about fainted. It was certainly a thrill, and I believe the article accurately represented who I am and why I do this program. I need to thank Jennifer Bertetto and Stephen Huba for making it possible. But to be clear, I am not the focus of Unfound. I simply put this podcast together. The families and the missing people are the true center of Unfound's attention. Where you can find Unfound. Unfound is on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Podomatic, Stitcher, Podbean, and Spotify. You can email the program, unfoundpodcast at gmail.com. The website, unfoundpodcast.com, please check out the Secret Stephen Kocher episode. The website at Trib Total Media, triblive.com forward slash news forward slash unfound. Unfound has Patreon and PayPal accounts. Thank you to the most recent contributors, Kara and Barbara. You can find the Unfound merchandise. Volume 1 is on Amazon in both paperback and ebook form. And yes, I'm still working on Volume 2. I have a lot going on right now. The playing cards go to makeplayingcards.com forward slash sell forward slash unfound podcast. Unfound now also has a store at shopify.com. The address for that is unfound-podcast.myshopify.com. You can check out t-shirts and there will be other merchandise that will be available soon on there. And please mention Unfound on all true crime Facebook pages and other websites and forums. Thank you. I'm so happy to have on this episode of Unfound the mother of Tamala Nicole Wells, Donna Davis. Donna, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Glad to be a part of Unfound. And thank you for joining uh, us on this program. Tell the listeners a little bit about Tamala, and we're going to refer to her as Nikki during this interview because that's the way most people referred to her that called her. Um, but how did she get the first name Tamela? It's very unique. Yes. Um, my sister-in-law, Margaret Ray, um, came up with the suggestion of naming her Pamela. Well, I didn't like Pamela, so I went down to Alphabet, and I came up with Tamela. And Tamela just it just popped out at me. It just hugged me and grabbed me, and so that's what I named my daughter. I named her Tamela Nicole Wells. And her middle name is Nicole, but it's spelled uniquely. And where did you get that name from? Well, um, my mom, my mom, yeah, my mother mm-hmm. named her Nicole. And Nikki was just going to be short of Nicole. Yeah. Because I knew that, you know, kids grow up, they don't really like their real names too much. You know, we don't, you know, everybody has a nickname for their kids. You know what I'm sure. saying? Yeah. So I came up with Nikki, short of Nicole. And so we started to call her Nikki. And she liked it Nikki more than she liked it Tamla. So 
identified Nikki Stubb. Okay, and we're going to call her Nikki throughout this interview, and so the listeners should know that in case they get a little confused. What should the listeners know about Nikki? What do you, how do you remember your daughter and, and who she was growing up, her interests, her hobbies? What was she into? She was into a lot of uh, dance. She loved dance and athletes, stuff like that. She liked it to dress up and look pretty. And, you know, she was a girly girl. So she liked it all the girly things, you know, like polish. And, you know, she liked to go out and she loved to go out to eat, to the movies, you know, things that young kids used to do back in the day, festivals and amusement parks and things of that nature. She was pretty much family-oriented like girl, you know. She didn't like to go out too much but and spend a night. She would like for her friends to come spend a night with her. Mm-hmm. And yeah. did she have any, uh, You, I think you told me that she was your firstborn, is that right? She was my firstborn daughter. Firstborn daughter, firstborn okay. Son. Yes. Oh, okay. Yes. She had a brother that was uh, a year, 11, maybe 11, 12 months older than her. And, uh, so, yeah, she was just the first girl. And how many and uh, children do you have, Donna? I have six. I have four boys and two girls. Wow, six. Spread out uh, over how many uh, years about? Uh, well, the first one um, is uh, ages now is 40. He'd be 40, Valentine's Day. Mm-hmm. And then my second one was Pamela, which we call her Nikki. Her birthday was in December. That's right. So... Yeah, December, mm-hmm. but she just had a birthday. Then she had a brother. His birthday was in 87, so Nikki's birthday was in 78. So 77, 78, 87, 90, 91, and 96. Wow. Like almost a 20-year spread between the youngest and oldest. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And and the yikes. unique thing about it is their birthdays is one day apart. One One's birthday is February 14th, and the other one is February 13th. That's and he's the younger one. That's, yeah. So that's fascinating. I've been blessed. Yeah, you know, as you, as you look at everything and you look at their birthdays and what they're surrounded around and all that, God has definitely blessed me. He blessed me with six wonderful kids. Yeah. Four boys and two girls. And how did uh, Nikki feel about being one of the oldest? Uh, was she a good uh, um, big sister to all the younger uh, kids? Maybe did she babysit them or uh, sometimes? She like was that? a fantastic good sister. I'm telling you, she was the best big sister that anybody will ever want to have. I mean, she spent time with them. She took them places. She taught them things. You know, she would read to them, watch movies with them. You know, we go to the parks and all of that. She was a fantastic big sister. I mean, on hand, a part in. Okay. So she uh, she went to high school. Where did where did she go to, to school? And did she have any other uh, higher education after that? Well, she went to high school, but she didn't stay there long. Um, she wound up coming out of high school early and taking a GED. So she did complete her GED, and she went on to um, become a nurse's assistant. 
So, you know, she had started off into the medical field. First, she started off as a medical transcriptionist. Then she went from there and she became a phlebotomist. And then from there, she just went on and did the nursing thing. So that's how she, you know, mm-hmm. started off in her early years of schooling, you know, as far as uh, elementary and middle school and all of that. Uh, excellent student, never had a problem out of her, never got in trouble, never got kicked out of school. Just, you know, one of those kids that just was good all through childhood. I really never had a problem out of Nikki. And she was uh, interested in nursing. Uh, She took an interest in the medical field. I guess she had a lot of different choices, but she chose to be a nurse, which you know, she, you know how you have to have a lot of caring to do that profession. Yes, you do, and she did have a lot of caring. And the first time that I really, really realized that she can really handle this nurse's situation is when a, uh, a brother of hers got hurt, and everybody was hysterical because of the blood and all of that. But she never cried or screamed out. She was just on hands assisting, and I was like, wow. That didn't even scare you, huh? She was like, no. I said, oh, okay. Maybe you should be a nurse. She, That's pretty much how it started. Yeah, she she had that grace under pressure. Yeah, she did. She did. Mm-hmm. She really did. She wasn't the type of uh, young lady that would fold under pressure. She was always one of those responsible type persons. Like, if she had a problem or a situation, she would take care of it. You know, she didn't want nobody to be troubled or worried about it. It's going to be okay. You know, and she was one of those people that reassured you that it's going to be all right. You know, it's not the end of the world. You know, and, and, and that's, you know, that taught our brothers and sisters a lot because, when you make a mistake, you just fix it. You learn from it and you keep moving. You don't let it get the best of you. You keep on going. And she was pretty much into uh, the correction of her little brothers and sisters. She never wanted to see them, you know, fall below a part of life that they wasn't supposed to be. And so she really stuck her hands out and, and became a part of their growing up years. Now the listeners should know that, uh, of course, she she disappeared in Michigan, but you live here in Florida. In fact, maybe just a couple hours from where I live. Um, were you separated like that uh, for long? As as an, you know, she became a adult. Of course, she was thirty three. Um, were you separated for a long time? You living here and her living there? No, we wasn't separated for a long time. You know, I would always go and visit her, and she would always come and visit me. So we stay connected, you know. I would go there as much as I could, which was a lot. And, uh, you know, because I still have relatives in the city of Detroit. And moving here, upon moving here, of course you get homesick and you get to missing your family. And my mom stayed, still stayed there. And all of my cousins and aunts and everything, they still stayed in the city of Detroit. So I would go back on, on numerous occasions to visit, holidays. You know, it didn't even have to be a holiday. Yeah, just, just go see him, sure, you know? sure, sure. Yeah. So, sure. yeah, um, no, we wasn't separated not at all, and we kept in communication. And how long have you lived here in Florida, just to give the listeners an idea? How long have you lived here? 
I lived in, I've been here since 2001. So okay. Okay. About 16 years. years. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Now we're going to talk. I'm going to ask you about a person who um, actually um, play is going to play a major part, of course, uh, from now on. Unfortunately, but maybe you can explain to the listeners how Nikki ended up meeting Ricky Tennant and you know the the role that he uh, played in her life and um, you know of course. If she knew him for a long time, you knew him for a while. How did she meet uh, Ricky Tennant? Uh, well, strangest occurrence is how she met him. I really put the pieces together. She had to meet him uh, when he stayed downstairs in our apartment where my mom stayed. And he stayed in apartment one and my mom stayed in apartment four. But I never knew he had any interest in Nikki, because Nikki was a kid. She was a 15-year-old girl. So I never knew that this guy, this gentleman, or whoever he is today, I don't know, um, had any interest in my daughter, okay? Um, I didn't find that out until she was 18. And how I found it out is one day um, she would come home and always leave right, right back, like someone was waiting for her. And I never could figure out who would drop her off and never waited for. Since like she like walked to the corner or was walking from the corner. And one particular day, I just said, I'm really going to find out who is dropping her off. And I went to the corner and I waited there. And that's when I seen the gentleman and I walked into his car and knocked on his car window and he rolled the window down and I realized it was him. And, of course, you know, I was ticked off and pissed off, but there was really nothing I could really do about it because my daughter was now 18. So in order to keep down the confusion of not losing my child to some pedophile, because that's what it was, um, I just kept cordial. Because now my daughter is 18 and she can do whatever she wants. And what I didn't want to do was lose a connection or a relationship with my child. Of course. So like most mothers, we just been with the pieces. But yeah. at the same time, we keep our eyes on you. And and a lot of parents run into that. They, they have both sons and daughters who end up dating men or women, or if they're gay or lesbian, men and women, whatever, um, that sometimes parents don't like. But they sometimes know if they say if they're too hard on it, that drives the the kid away. And that's kind of what you're saying here. Yeah, and that's what I did more. And like I said, at the time, Pamela had already had a baby, her firstborn son. And he wasn't the father. Um, But I always thought that her and the father was together. So I really never questioned it too much until I found out, you know. And it kind of broke my heart because it was like, you've been messing with my daughter this long and we didn't have a clue. So he had enough sense to keep it hidden from us, to keep her in uh, manipulation. Because that's what it was. When you don't tell your parents who you're meeting or seeing or dating, then that's a problem. Because most mothers and fathers and families would like to know who you're dating and going out with. But in this case, we didn't. And how old was he 
compared to you said that they met when she was 15. How old would Ricky have been at the, at the time? How much older is at he least, than she is? At least 30, at least 30, 35, something around in that number. Say 15 he was way older than her. Yes, he was way older than Pamela. Oh, my. Because if Pamela is 33 when she went missing, and he gives the, the media a, a number of 56, which I'm going to say 58, um, you're quite way quite older than her. So yeah. what will even possess you in the first place to even talk to such a young girl? But then as time went over and went past, I found out that he was not only messing with her, but messing with a few other young girls that was in the neighborhood. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that should be any surprise. I think those kinds of guys do do that. You know, when they're into yeah. Yeah. young girls like that, they shouldn't be into it. It's wrong. It's immoral, everything else. It doesn't surprise me then if they're, they're doing other illegal and immoral things. Absolutely, and there you go with the illegal and immoral things because uh, the only thing that attracts young girls to older men is that they have to have some type of uh, uh, flash, okay? And what he did, he had he had money, so he was the flash guy. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And this is how he led these young girls to himself, okay? Because mm-hmm. again, we're from the inner city, okay? So not going to say we were poor, but we wasn't rich either, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of young girls want the finer things of life, way more than the parents are willing to give them this particular kind. Because at my stance of me raising my kids, they had to earn certain things. You know, I didn't just go out and buy them Jordan gym shoes because they wanted them. But if they earned those shoes, then, of course, they can wear that stuff. You know, but it, they had to put a lot of work and, and effort into earning something that, that that was that expensive. And being a mother at that particular time of just three. So it was very difficult to try to, you know, keep up with the Joneses and all of that. Absolutely. You know, and sure. I believe in taking care of my children and, and giving them nice things and all of that. But, you know, stuff that I couldn't afford, I just wasn't going to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this was mainly how he manipulated my child. Yeah. Because the child she was. Yeah, and then she, you know, she was probably, he was probably controlling her behind the scenes, telling her not to say anything to you or to any of, you know, brothers, sisters, or any other family members, or probably maybe even friends, because that's what those kinds of guys do. Absolutely. Uh, Yeah. You know, not only that, her grandparents, like I said, her grandparents stayed in an apartment, and they all shared this, Really nice apartment building. It was really, really nice, gorgeous. And um, like I say, he stayed in apartment one, and my mother and father stayed in apartment four. And they didn't even know. Really secretive. Really on the the down low. On the down low. Yes, yes. Yeah. But she continued, but she stayed with this guy, didn't she? She stayed with Ricky through being 18. They they continued to have a relationship into her 20s, or yeah, what happened there? Because, to my understanding, he was married. And I don't know if he was going through a divorce or separation or whatever, but when we first met him, he had a wife. And uh, then we didn't see the wife no more. You know what I'm saying? So I, apparently they were going through whatever they were going through at the particular time, but 
to my knowledge and my understanding, the house that they lived in, the house that she disappeared from, he lived there with the wife, as well as this apartment that he had secretly for the flash. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like a love nest or something. Well, I could say a love nest, but, you know, I could say, like I said, we lived in the inner city. So when guys come up with flash, that means they're doing something illegal. And back then, that's what he was doing, illegal transaction. And this is what this apartment building uh, apartment was used for. To my understanding, as I look at the whole picture plays out. You know, we don't quite look at it like that in the beginning because it's set up like a home. You know what I'm saying? But at the end of the day, he never stayed there at night. He was only there in the daytime. So, you know, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But he had a place of his own over here, and that was the house that she disappeared from. So they continued on this relationship uh, into the 20s. Maybe he's still married or, you know, maybe his wife's not giving him a divorce. Maybe we're not quite sure. But through her 20s, it, you know, uh, Nikki is seeing Ricky. But uh, what's she doing with her life? Is she staying on the straight and narrow path, even though he is somewhat suspicious? Yes. What was, you know, 20s into her yes. early 30s? What was going on with all that time? Yes, just a young girl wanting to have fun. You know, a young girl wanting to have fun, wanting to hang out with her friends and do things with her friends, shop and go get her hair done and nails done and things of that nature. And, you know, just, you know, she was into going to school, still doing stuff for herself, working. You know, she kept a job and, uh, you know, had this sugar daddy on the side. Do you, uh, do you, in looking back at it now through those years, did she ever talk to you about him being violent toward her? Uh, I mean, obviously, no. you weren't there to see that, being that you had moved to Florida in 2001, but between 2001 and when she disappeared, ever anything like that pop up? A few times, you know, and we would discuss it, and I would tell her, if any man put their hands on you, that is not the man for you, Okay. You need to walk away. You need to pick up the pieces now and just go. You know, but again, when these young people think that they're in love, you know, and they think that it's going to work out, then you have to let it be because at the end of the day, Tamela was grown at this particular time and she had to be able to make her own decisions. In spite of me, you know, trying to course her and teach her the right things, she still had to make a decision on her own. You know, and that decision she wasn't ready to make. Okay, but again, it would get better, and then it would get worse again. You know, Ups because at this particular time she was young, and you want to control this young girl. But this young girl is what you didn't remember or realize or forgot or I don't know that she was going to grow up and she's going to get a mind of her own eventually, mm-hmm. and she's going to figure out that. I don't think this is the guy I really want to be with. Yeah. Right. You know, and after right. paying the pieces and playing the tape back of the hostile attitude, the controlling behavior, the uh, abuse verbally and physically, she was ready to walk away. And you're thinking that was her mindset, uh, you know, in 2012, that she was thinking... Maybe this is it. You know, I'm into my early 30s now. I don't need this guy anymore. 
he's not really that. She finally said, you know what, this isn't a good guy. And your belief is that she was going to be leaving him sometime in 2012. Oh, yes. Without a doubt, she was leaving in 2012 of August. Okay. And that was decided and it was uh, concrete and it was into action. And for her to disappear on the 6th, knowing that her mother was coming on the 24th, was just far far from being unreal, you know what I'm saying? Because you won't go and disappear on the sixth, and you know your mom is coming on the twenty fourth. It just makes no sense. And when we have this in effect that you're leaving and you're coming back here, we had it all set up. He's the only one that really didn't know. And then one night she did call me and tell me, "I think he knows. I think he heard me." Well, and I I reassured her that look, I can come early. You know, um, I don't have to come on the 24th. I can come next week, okay? And she was like, no, I think I'd be all right. It'd be all right. Well, okay. If it's not all right, then you need to call me and let me know, and I can change my ticket, and I can change my way, and we can come earlier. Because we were planning to come down there and surprise the rest of these guys back here if she was coming back home to live permanently. But, you know, you don't want to put it all out there because if something happens or what didn't work out, then you don't have everybody all, you know, excited about something that wasn't going to happen. So I was mainly keeping it to myself, okay, until I got that phone call on August 6th of 2012. So let's just set this up for the listeners. So you were planning uh, later in August of 2012 to fly up there and see her. And you were kind of thinking that at that point, um, Nikki might pack up all her stuff and come with you. So when you said she's moving out, she isn't just moving to somewhere else in Michigan or even in Detroit. She was going to come with you back to Florida. Yeah, she was definitely coming back with me Okay, back to Florida. So it wasn't okay. like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, ex- uh, you know, assume she's coming or maybe she will come. No, she was coming. And that was the reason that I had a plane ticket for August the 24th because it was some unfinished things that we had to do down there. And so I figured if I come down there on the 24th, we can handle whatever it was on the 28th. And from that day on, we had the holiday. And then we was going to spend the holiday because the rest of my family was also going to show up down in the city of Detroit. And then we were all going to come back together. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our plan at that particular time. Yeah. And, but you, like you said, uh, Nikki said to you that she believed that Ricky, you know, suspected that something was going on, might have been listening to the conversations, maybe on the other phone. Maybe he was spying on her. She had told you that. Yeah, she did. And I never really put it out there because I really didn't know how far the situation with her being missing will go. I thought maybe she ran away or something and just was just going to stay put until I got there or something like that, you know, but for her not to have called me was just far from being anything my daughter would ever do. One thing she would do, and that was to take and take responsibility for anything that was going on, but she would also let me know what it was. It wasn't like a surprise, you know what I'm saying? She would always let me know whether I wanted to hear it or not, what was happening. And for her not to make contact with me was nothing like her. 
because she no. would never go without contact, ever. No. So we come to August 6, 2012, and, and, and um, I just want to ask you this. Are we even sure that that's the day that she disappeared? When was the last time you talked to her uh, before she disappeared? I talked to her on that day. August okay. 6th of 2012, and it had to be about 9 o'clock. And this is the time that the boyfriend claims she left home, okay? Mm-hmm. And that didn't ring true with me because I just, and I don't know if he knew or not, but I had talked to her, okay? And I can tell something was wrong, um, but she reassured me that everything would be okay and that she would call me later. Well, the whole day went past past nine. I said, okay, but well, she never called back, so maybe she'll call me tomorrow morning, you know, because I fell asleep. And I got woken by the phone call at six that morning saying that she didn't come home that night. And I'm like, none of this makes sense to me. I just talked to her at nine last night, and for her not to come home, it's just far from being kind of strange because it was a Monday. And I never forget the day. It was a Monday. And Tamla never, Nikki never, okay, hung out on weekdays. Never hung out on weekdays. And this was summertime. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, I and do. Who, what little girl would be up at 6 o'clock in the morning on a summer day? Yeah, maybe maybe we need to explain that for listeners. It wasn't Ricky who called you to say that she went out and never came home, you know, that night. It was actually the daughter that Ricky and Nikki had together. And how old was she at the time? She's the one that called you at 6 a.m. Absolutely. She was six years old. And that was the thing that just bugged me, okay? That's what the alarming to the whole situation was because six years old, first of all, who dialed the number for you, Okay. Who dialed the number? Why are you woke at 6 o'clock in the morning? So, you know, I started to get this uncomfortable feeling like, okay, something's not right here. I just can't put my finger on it, but something's not right. But he never got on the phone. The boyfriend never got on the phone to say, I believe something's wrong. You should get here. Uh, You know, this is going on. She didn't come home. I'm just scared to death. But no, you didn't do that. And see, normally when you have an argument or y'all have a dispute or a physical altercation, <clears throat> which was happening more regular than I knew about, you will go to the girlfriend's house or you will call their house or you'll be knocking at their door. But this particular day, you never did any of that. And they found it to be very, very strange because they told me when I got there, he will always come looking for Nick. He will always call or just show up knocking on the door, pleading for her to come back, come home, you know. Mm-hmm. But this particular day, he never called a girlfriend. He never showed up at their house, nothing. And they didn't have a clue that Nikki was missing. And that was really alarming to me because these two girls always, always knew of Nikki's whereabouts. Instead, her six-year-old daughter, somebody dials the phone for her, and she calls you and tells you that her mother never came home uh, the night before. 
Um, and and exactly. it should be noted that it wasn't just that Nikki was missing; her car was missing as well. You found that you you discovered that. Yes. Well, like I said, I discovered a whole lot of things that I don't yeah. believe to be true. Okay. Yeah. Um, but this is the thing that we have to fan through because I don't truly believe that she drove that car away from there. I don't believe mm-hmm. that she parked that car where that car was. I think that was all just a plot, just to throw us off uh, what was really going on. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because everyone in that neighborhood knew Nikki. They knew her. This was a neighborhood in which she was growing up in as well because her grandparents stayed in this area. So she knew everyone over here. It's not like she didn't know people over there. She did. She knew a lot of people over there. But no one had seen Nikki or talked to her. And they could not believe that she was over here in this area with this car where she had a brand new car. They never seen her in this car after she had after she got her brand new car. She they never seen her in this car. Ever. And then all of a sudden this car just shows up over here, parked in this neighborhood, far away from the curb. You know what I'm saying? And I come this neighborhood when I got there, knocking on doors, you know, asking questions, showing pictures of my daughter to different people. And one lady ran true to the whole situation. She said, I think this car in this area because it was a group home, you know, a home for uh, slow kids and, you know, maybe uh kids that had some type of behavior problems or whatever. Yeah. Well, it was a home set up in our, in the neighborhood that was for that. And the lady that synced the car there said she pays close attention to everything that's in this area because of these children. She had to keep an eye on these kids, you know, sure. wander off or be enticed off or whatever. So she paid attention to the car. She paid attention to the gentleman that parked the car there. It was a guy. It was not wasn't Nikki who parked the car there. It was a guy who parked it there. Yes. It was a guy and she described the guy and the whole nine yards. Well, you know, a description is just could fit anybody. Okay. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day she was willing to, you know, go through the pictures and all of that to try to maybe he was in the police book or something, you know, and that she can possibly like pick him out. But they never got to this lady to do any of this. Yeah, let's talk about that for a second. Um, did Ricky file a police report when she went missing after 24 hours or a certain amount of time? Did he ever do that? Did anybody yes. do that? Yes, he did. He did. He did. And I didn't know that he did that. And that was another alarming situation that she would go and file a police report on my daughter and never call me got on the phone or said anything. She has four other brothers and another sister. She has aunts and uncles and grandparents. And you never went to any of them to say something was wrong. But you filed a police report saying she was missing. I found that to be really strange. And the way he filed the report is just nothing, you know. What did he say happened? Just, I mean, we're probably not inclined to believe him, but what did the report say? What did he say happened after you got off the phone with her uh, that night? He claimed she just, he went around the corner to get the little girl. She was playing around the corner with some friends. This is what he says. And when he come back from around the corner, she was taken off in the car going around the corner. 
and she never said bye, hi, or anything. But so claimingly, the um, window was cracked, and this car had tinted windows. So my whole clue to that is, if the car the car window was cracked, how did you know it was Nikki in the car? Because the rest of the car is tinted windows. So how would you know to even see her in a car? Mm. You know what I'm saying? And maybe we should so put this on the record. So he he did this report. Who actually ended up finding the car, and how long after Nikki disappeared was it found? Who found it? He 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 found the car. Ricky found the car. <laughs> he found, <laughs> yes, he found the car, which is another unusual situation. How do you find the car? First of all, you live in this neighborhood, okay? And if you claim that you have combed this neighborhood looking for this young lady in this car, I'm kind of sure if you really see the whole scenario of how this picture looks, that you could know where in the world he could have missed this car. You understand what I'm saying? So yeah. you knew what the car was all the time. That's that's my opinion. My opinion is you knew what the car was all the time. You made up some fictitious name or someone called him and told him he, they found his car. You know, and then he runs over there to the car instead of calling the police. You runs over and runs to the car. Who does that? If you put in a police report for a young lady that's missing, you say she's missing, okay? And yeah. then you find the car that she went missing in, and then you goes into the car and runs through the car. Who does that? No, if I found the car, I'm going to call the police and let the police go through the car to see if anything, you know, yeah, he uh, didn't out of the way is in the car. Yeah. So whatever he did, he um he destroyed everything. And um when they yeah. found it, was there any signs of violence in it? Uh you know, what um No. Uh, was the, nothing. Was but anything of hers found in it? Where was her purse, her cell phone, you know, the keys, nothing. anything like that? Nothing. But then months later, you come up with a cell phone. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. And I don't understand the police uh, not paying attention to any of these things. None of this stuff is very important to them. Mm -hmm. Because this young lady had a phone, and the phone was never found or seized or anything like that. But months later, you come up with a phone. How do you come up with a phone and you can ramage through and call her friends and all of this stuff? Well, how would you know to call her friends if you didn't if you didn't have any way of contacting them? The only way you can contact these friends is through her phone. You wouldn't have the numbers personally yourself. Yeah. But nevertheless, this police report was filed on um, August 9th. And I'm going to say August 9th because it was really August 8th when the police report was filed. He waited till the clock struck 12, okay? That yeah. made the date change to another date. So really, you filed this report on August 8th of 2012. She waited till 12 o'clock, so it can turn to August 9th of 2012. Do you understand what I'm saying? And if she went missing on on August 6th at 9.30, and you file a report on the 8th, that's not giving her a lot of time. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's not even giving you a lot of time to even go to a friend's house and, you know, get to the friends and talk to the friends, you know, do any of that, which you did none of that. And that's what I found it to be really strange. And so they said a person 
filed the report, and at the time, he put his age as being 55 and hers 33. That's still too mm-hmm. old. First yeah. of all, he put her age as 29 when he knows she was 33. How do you make a mistake like that being the boyfriend of a relationship that you claim has been 15 years or more? This is what he claimed. Yeah, I, I didn't see a 15-year relationship. I seen an off and on uh, sugar daddy. <laughs> That's what I saw. Hmm. But nevertheless, uh, in the report, he put pro last saw victim leaving above location driving a four door 2001 white Pontiac Grand Prix license plate number vent number. He had all this. I mean, you know, uh, he had the vent number. He had a license. I'm sure you can. He was very prepared. He was very prepared. Right, right. Post state's victim has not come home and has not responded to phone calls. Post. Post states that there are no major family issues. Victim is in good mental, physical condition. Victim has not gone missing before. Post states that he has drove around attempting to locate victim, but was not found. Has not found her. Pro has a child in common with the victim. That's it. So, did the police do much? I mean, did they did they talk to him? Did they did they question him? Um, did they give him a polygraph test? I mean, what can you tell the listeners about any of that? And I know I want to get into what you did when you get up there as well, but the police, did they do anything um, you know, to look at they Ricky? Gave him a, 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 yeah, eventually they gave him a lie detector test. I think it was maybe a month or so after Nikki went missing. And he flunked. He flunked the test, and he flunked it three times, in which he had the nurse to call me and tell me about it. But see, I had already knew about it through the police department, had already called me and told me he didn't pass, okay? And that's all they could tell me. They couldn't answer any questions that I wanted to be answered, but they did tell me he didn't pass, okay? And later on, I found out that the questions that they asked him just went off the charts of him lying. And one of those questions is, do you know the whereabouts of Nikki? Did you do anything to her? Do you know of her whereabouts? And any of these questions went <laughs> off the chart. <laughs> the needle's going all over and, the place, yeah. Yes, you know, and and, and, I'm, and one more thing that stood up in this situation was that he got so hostile. He got so hostile with the people who were polygraphing him till they thought they was going to have to, you know, they was going to have to, you know, put him in restraints. Who acts like that? If you're trying to find a young lady that you believe something has happened to her, why would you have an attitude? Why would you listen? If I didn't do something to somebody, I'm going to prove that I didn't do it. Now we already know in all circumstances, as I know, he know he watches a lot of police shows. In fact, he was watching one when I arrived as though he was trying to learn something from this program because he never took his eyes off the program. And I'm here in regards to where my baby is. And you can never look at me or anything. You never took your eyes off this TV show. And I never forget the show was 48 hours. I mean, he was into it. Like, my son looked at me. I looked at him like, what the hell is he sitting here watching 48 hours for? 
but nevertheless, he never, never contacted anyone in her family before making a police report. Then you get hostile and nasty and cocky and arrogant and cussing and all of this stuff. Who does that if you're trying to find your baby's mother, your girlfriend, you claim that you love so much? There's no way that a man that I would be dating would act like that if something happened in this situation, such as happening with my daughter, would act any way like this. No. I I can't see anyone in their right mind that loves someone and cares for someone and has the deepest concern about their whereabouts would even act this way at all. So that was alarming to us. So you went up to, you be, uh, once you found out about all this, how soon did you, of course, we know that you were already scheduled to go up to uh, up to Detroit later in August, but you got there much earlier. I mean, what did you do when you got up there? You started passing my out flyers? Did you... my, yes, my plane left on the 13th. I couldn't get a plane out. I was trying to get a plane the day that the little girl, my granddaughter, called me and told me her mother didn't come home last night. My heart started beating like something isn't right. I just felt like something was wrong. And so from that day, I tried to get a plane. But, heck, you know, you can't get a plane out of here when you want to. You have to go on schedule of when one is leaving. So I had to wait almost a week, but almost a week I had to talk to a little girl, my granddaughter, on the phone for seven days almost. And no adult never got on the phone, ever. I had to send someone from down there to that house and have them to call me. And that's when he decided to call me. And then when he called me, oh, he was so calm and cool and collected. It's so nothing had happened. Like, really? Hmm. So, you know, that was alarming. It was more alarming to my son than it was to anybody else. Because I'm at this point, I'm trying to keep a composure because all I need to do now is just get down here and see what the heck is going on. You know, and of course... Anyone knows as a parent, we're not going to fly halfway across the world to our kids who's already grown up unless we believe something is wrong. I began to get scared because at a 911, they're going to call back no matter what. Like, let me just call my mom because she is not going to stop until she gets. No. Now you, when you were up there, though, you got to you uh, organized the search, and what happened there? He didn't even take part in the search, did he? No, no. Uh, he came out one time, uh, and that particular time, I had to force him out. Like he's claimed he had something to do. First of all, when I got there, uh, my daughter was receiving public assistance, only EBT food. She wasn't getting any checks or they wasn't paying any of her bills or anything of, of that nature. But they was giving her a food card. And his main concern was to go get this food card changed over his name. And I'm saying to myself, really? You were more concerned about a food card than you are her? And yeah. that's where he claimed to have left to go to the social services or whatever they call it down there. I forgot it's been so many years. But that's where he was claiming to go when I got there. And that was a little while after I got there, uh, the house was in disarray, like I explained to the police. I've never seen my the place look like that ever. 
It was in disarray. It was a hot mess. As though someone was rambling for something, searching for something. All the light bulbs were screwed out. The shades were pulled. It's like, okay, are we going to open up the shades and let some sunshine in here or something? I mean, it's dark, it's gloomy, and it's a hot mess in here, I told them. I said, you need to clean this place up. It is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Didn't you tell me that he, on. you told me that you were conducting a search and he showed up like with a friend of his all dressed up or something like they were yes, going out? Yes, we conducted a search one night uh, because I was there for a while, okay? And one particular night, we were searching the vacant houses and all of that in the area which the car was found, okay? My idea was just, let's search some of these abandoned buildings, some of these houses, you know, the garbage dump, something, you know? And that's what we did. And he showed up suddenly. No one invited him. No one called him with his brother. And they were dressed up, smelling good in cologne. And, I mean, cheerfully and bubbly and, you know, like they were high off of something. And he claimed that he was going to come back and help us, but he never came back. And we found that to be really, really strange. And it was one other time that we were in his presence, and that was for the Crime Watch, um, not Crime Watch, but Crime Stoppers. You know, they give you an interview to come out to plead for your loved one and this and that and the other. And first, you be interviewed before going on TV. So the day before, we were interviewed, but I didn't call him to the interview because I just wanted to throw him on the TV just to see his reaction and how he acted. Mm-hmm. And he was scared and jumpy, and I was with a pastor. The pastor was there standing with me in Crime Stoppers, and he was like, who is this guy? And I told him, and he said, something's really strange about him. And Certainly people is. didn't even know who he was. So, you know, when they start to realize who this guy is, everybody started getting the same vibes from this guy. I never told them anything negative about this guy. Because I didn't know anything negative. In my whole heart, I don't want to believe that this guy had did something. So I didn't want to believe that. So I wasn't going to put that out there until I was sure. And when did you become sure? How long after she disappeared were you pretty sure that uh, in your, of course, uh, this is still just an opinion, but in your opinion that he did something to Nikki? A few weeks, a few weeks because of his attitude and his obnoxious attitude and his arrogantness and, you know, uh, the, the the cussing. And then he went to telling the news that I was accusing him of doing something to Nikki. And I never, ever, ever let that come out of my mouth. So when he said that, that sprung a whole big alarm me because one day we were given a visual prayer in a yard across the street from where Tamara lives, okay? And I couldn't understand why he wouldn't even let the little girl, my granddaughter, come to the prayer. That was for her mother. He was more worried about why we was in these people's yard and why we were over here. And so when the people pulled up, because they gave us permission, they offered their yard to me. They gave me permission to be there. Nevertheless, when they pulled up, he went to raving and raving to these people, and it was like, hold up, sir. We gave her permission to be here. And what did they say that to this man for? He just bounced up and down the street. He was 
you know, how a madman to go up and down the street and walk and come back. And that's what he was doing. And I found that to be really, really weird. Sounds you, weird. What side are you on? What side it are you on weird. here? Sounds We're weird. We're fighting for the, you know what I'm saying? We're fighting to try to find Tamala. We're not fighting with you. And yeah. that was the end of this roller coaster right here. And it's been a roller coaster every since. No cooperation, no love, no concern, nothing. What was Ricky's? Uh, what was Ricky's ex-wife like? Uh, he had an ex-wife. He finally, I guess, got divorced. I never really knew her. I did. Never did really Nikki know her. her? Did she have any? Nikki have any problems with her? Nikki Anything? Knew of her, and she thought she was very stalkative. Very stalkative. You know, one of those type of persons that cannot take no for an answer. It's over. It's over. Why you keep coming around? Why you keep calling? Why you keep showing up? That type mm-hmm. of person. And that's yeah. pretty much all I knew about her. I didn't know her at all. No. So, you know, I can't really, you know, ring bells on too much about her. I've heard things about her, but I don't really know these people because I don't socialize with people in that lifestyle. Okay? Yeah. Let me ask let me ask you a couple questions just to put this all on the record. What disappeared besides uh Nikki? Did you said her phone disappeared but then it came back? He had her phone or something? Could you explain that maybe I a little bit more? Saw, I never saw the phone, but one day he called me and told me he found her phone. And he was calling some of the numbers in her phone. So you were under the impression that her phone had disappeared with her, but then at some later point, he's claiming he has her phone. Absolutely. And I found that to be really strange. And, of course, I reported that also to the Detroit Police Department, who seems to ignore everything that I report to them. You know, it's just a bunch of he say they say it. We don't need to hit, listen to he say. Well, what are you listening to when you asking someone to call anonymous to crime stop? That's he say. So why don't you want to hear my he say? I am the one who know more about this young lady than anybody know about her. And see, this is the whole thing with people in the police department. They don't know the family. They don't know the lifestyles of these people. They only look at what they can find on Google and police searches and things of that nature. And this is how you round about, I guess, come to your conclusion on who this person is and just far front from being anything like the person. Okay. Yeah. Did they ever, did the police ever ping her phone where, you know, her phone bounced off the last or anything like that in during the, their investigation? No, I, don't, I don't believe they did. I don't believe they did, but they claim they did. You know, first of all, you, as you are, you, you are the police department. So you know how to do certain things for us. Get the phone records, pin the phones, do the traces, the whole nine yards. None of that they did. First of all, they pressured me into getting the phone records. I had to pressure him into getting the phone records, which he was never willing to give me the phone records. The phones were in the boyfriend's name. So why aren't you running your ass down there trying to get me the phone records? I had to get the phone records myself, okay? And I finally got them. And I was able to take the phone records to the police department. 
Now, what they did with them after that, I have not a clue, but I can tell you what I did. I called every number that was on the phone, okay? Most of them was uh, uh, friends that had changed their numbers, uh, answering services that people wouldn't answer in their phone, things of that nature. So I don't really know um, too much about it. I just knew that it was one particular young gentleman and his sister that was on the phone line and I talked to them vaguely. They were the sister was on the search with us. And even the sister started to think maybe her brother did something. You know? And I'm like, well I don't know. We don't know who did something. My whole thing is that's what we're trying to find. See if we can find her then we can find out who did whatever. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And my whole thing is we we can find her alive we could know more. Even if we find her dead, we would still know. But you're talking about 5.5 years. That's yeah, enough years. time for anybody to get rid of anything, okay? And it gave this boyfriend enough leeway to do whatever it is that he wanted to do. So, Wiz, you know, when, you saw those, when you saw those phone records... Uh, that call that you had with her that night, was that the last phone call? Was that the last, were you the last person that she talked no, to? there was another phone call. There was several other phone calls after that. Hmm. And the last one was at 11.45. And that's the one that I'm trying to find out where was she when she made that phone call. Do you know who that was you know. that she called? Do you know who she called? Some, some young lady from over that side of town. But... That doesn't put her on that side of town. What did this uh, did this person did this girl ever say what the conversation was about? Did you track her down? She, yeah, she she did tell us what the conversation about. She was just you know Nikki always called and they always talked you know and it was just a casual phone call. You know they didn't really talk that long or anything you know just hey you're all right and this and that and da 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 and that was it you know just girlfriend chat. So what you're saying is that she talked to Nikki talked to somebody at uh, this other friend at 11:45 p.m. and we just need to remind the listeners that it was only then about six hours, six hours, fifteen minutes later that Nikki's daughter is calling you. So it's a very small window uh, in which Nikki disappeared. Very small. Absolutely. Very small. Hmm. Very very small. And that's the that's the shadow right there. Yeah. Uh, you know, and she was still in existence at eleven forty five. Okay, which was going into another day, by the way. It was yeah. going into the seventh. Seventh, sure. Okay. So did she disappear on the sixth? Did she disappear on the seventh? Did she disappear on the eighth? Who knows? Only the boyfriend truly knows that because if I stayed with a man and I left my house at dark on a Monday, first of all, I'm going to be questioned about where I'm going. Second of all, I'm sure they're going to know what I had on, okay? I'm not going to be fighting with a little six-year-old girl, arguing with a little girl, telling her, no, she didn't. Yes, she did, Daddy. No, she didn't. No, she did, Daddy. You know what I'm saying? I wish she had on when she left. So that was, again, strange to me because I don't know no adult that's going to sit and argue 
with a six-year-old child. Right. But yet you couldn't get on the phone and talk to her mother or her parents or her brothers or her sister about what you think happened or if something happened, how come you never made communication with neither any of us? Yeah, because he didn't talk to you for you specifically for like a week or even longer Absolutely. after after Absolutely. she disappeared. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that was the strangest thing right there. Yeah. And then when you talked to me, you had no concerns about the situation. No, you ran it. Of course, like you said, you ran into him uh, later, any of these searches that he didn't take part in everything. He just had a lot of just very bizarre behavior. And actually, we're going to be talking some more about some more of his bizarre behavior in this interview that Crime Watch Daily did with him. But I want to ask you first, um, of course, like you said, Nikki and Ricky had this daughter. We haven't mentioned her name, which is fine. But she came to, you know, six years old. You know, they kind of know what's kind of going on in a house. Um, she came to see you in in Florida, came down to see you. And, you know, what kind of went on there? And, you know, she would have, you know, she's like 11 or 12 now. Um, do you think that she knows anything about what happened that night or and what happened when she came down? Her behavior was off the charts of a young girl that was just had a behavior problem. To me, it was coursed. It was, it was planned. It was planned that I'm going to send you down to the grandmother's, okay? Because, again, I didn't have no recollection of her even coming because if I'd known, I'd have planned events and things of that nature and been prepared for my granddaughter to come. In fact, I was on my way back to Detroit in search of my daughter and to get the media attention and, you know, do all these things that I've been doing. So I wasn't planning on being home for the summer with a little girl. And when was this? Just to be sure, when was this, if we could say, when did she come see you after Nikki disappeared? uh, She was nine, so two years ago. Okay. All right. two, Two years ago, so yeah. And it was June the 24th when she showed up. And she was supposed to stay till August the 24th. And I'm like, oh, okay. You're going to stay that long? Oh, wow, that's great. And uh, when she showed up again, she had a bunch of junk in a suitcase. Nothing like any person would pack for a young girl to come on a trip to Florida to see her grandparents. Which I didn't care if she had holes in her shoes as long as she showed up here. You know, and any glimpse of me trying to be a part of her life was okay with me because I, we didn't have a problem with taking her out and buying her some clothes and shoes and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, you have been with this child since she was six. And she don't have any better wardrobe than this that was in a suitcase. It was a hot mess, you know, and, you know, I didn't care. But she, her behavior was just some of some child I've never saw before. And again, I'm a mother of six. And if my children had that type of behavior, we're going to deal with it. Okay. Yeah. I don't think you need any drilling or medicines <laughs> or, you know, uh, prescriptions from a doctor uh-huh. or a diagnosis or anything. No, you need discipline. And to me, it was coached. It was, it was coached for her to come down here and show her natural butt. You know, and it was times where she was 
comfortable with being here and wanted to be here. And then it was times where she didn't. But at the end of the day, when you're going to your grandparents, you're going to send your children to your grandparents. You're not going to call them every day, four or five times a day. What for? They're with their but that's what he did. That's what Ricky was doing. Absolutely. And he got her to download an app, okay, that was showing sleep. So mm-hmm. this is one particular day that he had her to download an app that could show his face. And he went on to tell me that he met some gentleman at a liquor store on the west side. And I'm saying to myself, okay, if the guy is from the east side, what the heck is he doing on the west side? But okay, I'm going to listen to his outrageous sort of nonsense. And that the gentleman was talking to him and he gave the, the guy, asked him for a ride. So he dropped the guy off at eight miles or something at some apartment building and I'm like okay and he said yeah you know I was asking yeah you heard about my girl you know what happened to my girl who would have a conversation with a person that way I would never have a conversation with anyone of Mm -hmm. that you know like that ever even if something had happened I still wouldn't have no conversation with some stranger but nevertheless he told me that um the guy wanted some marijuana. I'm like, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him I was going to bring him some. You know, I'm going to get him to tell me a little bit more about what he know about Nikki. And I'm like, okay, well, fine. Well, when you get with the gentleman, <laughs> make sure you call me so I can talk to him. Right. So that particular day, he told me he was going that morning to take the gentleman whatever he wanted. And I said, okay, but... The morning passed, and he didn't call, and, and I'm calling him now, like, what's up with the guy? Because anything that can help me find my baby, of course, I want to talk to him. Nevertheless, he finally goes and finds whoever this guy was supposed to be, because I don't know who the guy was. Never seen him, never heard of him or anything. He might not have existed. Uh, there you go. So he goes and finds some guy. Okay, and he puts this guy on the phone, and this guy is trying to talk, and he's talking over the guy, as though he don't want the guy to actually talk to me. So nevertheless, the guy gave me his number. No, he gave me the guy's number, and I called the guy later on, and I went to telling him, describing to him who I was and all that. He told me, yes, he was with Mr. Tennant, and that Mr. Tennant was telling him about this girl. His girlfriend, he said, have never heard anything about her, never seen a flyer, never seen on the news, never heard anything about her. And I'm like, wow, really? And he says, yes. He said he was talking as though I was telling him something about this girl to you. He said, I don't know what type of tricks he's up to, but I don't know nothing about no girl. And I was like, wow, really? I said, well, I'm so very sorry to disturb you. You know, I just wanted to know because he was telling me that you knew all about this girl and, you know, and all of this stuff, and I wanted to verify it. He said, no, ma'am. I don't know what he's up to, what type of lies he's up to. He said, but he ain't about to put me in nothing. And I told him, thank you very much, and that was the end of that conversation. I never contacted that guy again. Of course not. So this happened while... Uh, Nikki's daughter was down seeing you. Do, do you happen to believe if uh, do you happen to believe that maybe the daughter was sent down there maybe to just 
keep an eye on you or something like that, you know? Or yeah. You... yeah, either that or either that or he's into doing whatever he was doing, you know? And so my whole thing is if he still knows where she is or whatever, whatever, this is the time now that he has plenty of time to do whatever he needed to do with this little girl not being a part of him traveling around with her or dropping her off at different places for different people to watch her. Knowing she was waiting down here, out of the way, of course I can do whatever it is that I want to do. And she would never know. But my whole thing is whatever happened that night, which I think it was a confrontation of some sort, okay, and it got out of hand. I don't know what happened after that, but there was a confrontation. There was some type of something going on there. Because I found out later that the police was called to that address August 4th of 2012. So, so two days before you found this out later, that two days before that they had gone to Nikki and Ricky's place. Right, and I didn't find out until months later that the police that came out to the house on August 4th of 2012. Huh. My daughter goes missing suddenly supposedly on August 6th of 2012. If there was some type of confrontation, physical altercation, or any of that thing, it wasn't, it wasn't no Humpty Dory Roses on the 6th. Because if you guys were fighting or doing something on the 4th, and that 4th was like 4.30, 5 o'clock in the morning, which made it the 5th, okay? Then there's no way in the world we were bubbly, lovely, doubly on the 6th. I do know for a fact that my daughter did go to the doctor because she had a doctor's appointment. That's the August 6th of 2012 at 3 o'clock. She made that appointment. So she was out yeah. doing the things that she needed to do, okay? Yep. Because, of course, I'm telling you that we have put a plan in place and my daughter was leaving the city of Detroit. Coming to Florida for a better life, her and her daughter reuniting with her son that already lived here. This was the surprise was going to be, that your mom is going to be here permanently. She's no longer coming on a visit. We're no longer going to visit her. She's actually going to live here. But that never happened. So with that not being, you know, being able to happen and all of that, it yes, it brings a whole lot of longing to all of us. You know, um, everybody says the same thing, and they don't even know this guy. That yeah. they believe he done something to her, and if he done something, he must tell us where she is. You don't talk in a family for five, almost six years, and keep on this chaos and confusion and disturbance in a family that's looking high and low for a girl that they love so much and you're keeping all of this chaos going on and you're keeping a child that should be a part of our lives while her mother is away, we should be in her life, helping mold in her in a way that she should go. But instead you keep her from us. You've changed the phone number. This is the guy who has changed his phone number. I don't know how many times since this young lady has been missing. Okay. I would never change my number because I know 
my daughter knows my number by heart. And I'll be stupid to change my number where I have no contact at all. But this guy changed his phone number. He has her phone shut off. And it wasn't even two weeks after she went missing. He had the phone shut off. You know, before the listeners get an idea that this is just something that uh, Donna herself has experienced regarding Ricky, um, you can actually go onto YouTube and see him doing an interview on Crime Watch Daily. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners about how that happened? And maybe in specific, he talked about how Nikki disappearing just caused him to have one less headache. Why don't you just go into all of that Crime Watch Daily uh, information? First of all, he did an interview before. I did an interview with Huffington Post, okay? Okay. Uh, maybe a year before. Okay, and that's when he was speaking to these people. He had not a clue who they was. I guess he just felt like he wanted to vent with somebody. He never had a clue of really who they was or what they were doing. And that was really strange to me because I'm going to ask questions. Who are you? Where you come from? What is the motive? What is your agenda? The whole nine yards because people play life games with situations such as this. So for him not to ask these questions was very strange. And to give an interview to these people that was far-fetched for being any kind of interview that this man has ever, ever had. And he had did many interviews for the missing. You understand what I'm saying? And he yeah. found this to be the strangest interview ever. He said it was so strange and alarming and gave him chills that he sent the entire interview to the Detroit Police Department. So that was the first alarming, and that's where he first said that there was two headaches, that she was a headache. And if I could tell you some of the things that she did, oh, my God, you would say, who does that? We're looking for a young girl, a mother of two, that is missing. You think that I'm going to find anything bad to say about this person? No, I don't have anything bad to say about this person. Because I am looking for her. I need her home. I love her. I don't have anything bad to report to anything, to anybody about her. But this is what he was putting out here. And so when he got to Crime Watch, Crime Watch was a uh, a person that seen my picture, seen my daughter's flyer on many occasions. And they just thought that they would get in touch with me because they had been seeing her flyer for so long. And they thought that, you know, they can reach out and try to help me. And so that's what they did. And when the lady reached out to help me, she introduced me to a young lady. Her name was Andrea Ison. Of course, I remember Andrea Ison because she worked in the city of Detroit. She was a news reporter for Channel 2 or whatever, and she had her own show at one time as well. But nevertheless, Andrea was the one who was doing this interview. But I was telling Andrea that I was coming to Detroit and that I was going to do a rally there for Nikki. And maybe it can bring some awareness and strike some memories. And maybe someone would be willing to speak up after all this time and tell us something. Nevertheless, she asked me when would I be there. And I asked her if she could be a part of the rally. And she said, yeah. 
So she decided, hey, well, why are you here? Well, let's just do the crime watch. And so she asked me who would I would like to be interviewed. Of course, I put Marcellus Ball, who is the investigator of this case, don't go there, and the boyfriend. I actually wanted him to be interviewed. And I didn't let them know that I was the one in behind this because I wanted them to step up to the plate and give some answers to the viewers, to the public, to the people that's concerned about where this young lady is. This is a young lady who has disappeared from our community. Of course, we want to know what the heck happened to her. And that's how that interview took place. And you get to see Ricky, and you get to see the Ricky that uh, Donna has been explaining this whole time. A guy who seems on the edge, can't keep his story straight. I got the idea almost that the the female reporter almost might have been a little afraid of him, being the way that he was acting. I mean, just just totally like a kook, just really acting crazy. And to invite someone into your home at work, okay, and then to act like a nut. Yeah. Okay, a dangerous person, a scary person, just like you saw it when you've never even met this guy, just like you've seen it. Yeah. No one acts like that who has a loved one that they're trying to find. Well, you're not trying to find her. The family is. You want no participation in looking for this young uh, this uh, young lady. No help whatsoever. Okay, and after the crime watch and him going off and telling them to kiss his butt, telling everybody to kiss his butt, who does that? Who You want people to help you. You don't want people to kiss your butt. You don't want to say obnoxious, nasty things to people that you need their help. You need the people's help. You don't go out and act that way. And it was just terrible. It was terrible for my sons to see that. It was terrible for my daughter to look at it, my husband, my mom. It was terrible. It was just absolutely a mess. It's hurtful because this is a guy that has a child by her that claims to love her. But yet and still, when we go, when she goes missing, you have no concern about it. No, and didn't. that's something wrong with this picture. He saw something Nikki as, wrong. he just saw Nikki as, like he said, one less headache in his life, meaning that she disappeared. That's right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when he was confronted about it, they gave him a chance to try to clean it up. But that's what he do. He says something, and then he thinks about it, and then he tries to clean it up. Well, guess what? You done said it already. Your first mind spoke your right mind. That's what I was always taught that. Do you uh, think that if we're if you obviously your suspicion is that uh, Ricky did something to Nikki? May, maybe a confrontation. Maybe it could have been on purpose. It could have been on accident. We we just don't know. But do you think that there's anybody else, maybe any of his friends or his family members that might have uh, might be helping him cover up maybe what Absolutely. he did? Absolutely. Absolutely. I really, truly do. And that the closest person would have been to him where he just lost his mom maybe last year in April. But, and even she probably wouldn't know because at this particular time she was like losing her memory, so to speak, but... Before Nikki went missing, I never got a call from the mother. 
the sister, anybody from that family that's saying, oh, we with you, you, you know, we want to help you. I mean, what are you thinking? I'm thinking, you know, whatever, nothing. And this is a young lady who has been involved in your family, so you say, for all of these years. And no one, not one person called. Not one person called out of concern. I remember one summer going down there, and this was the summer, the same summer that Nikki disappeared in, okay? This was August. They were having a festival in Hamtramck, Detroit. And I wanted to take my granddaughter along with my other grandkids that was there, a set of twins that I also have living in the city of Detroit. I wanted to take them to this festival. Well, we had picked up the twins. Okay, and we were going to pick up my other granddaughter. Okay, well, she told me, Oh, no, 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 because you know, school is starting, and I want her in bed by eight. Really, her grandmother's here from Florida, her mother's missing. This will give her a little time to have a little bit of fun. One day is not going to hurt help. She was up at six o'clock in the morning on a summer day when there wasn't no school. So why can't she be a little late going home? And school wasn't even starting for another day or so. But nevertheless, I went on to go on to this festival with the grandchildren that was coming with us. She wasn't able to come. But later on that day, I called again and asked, well, where is she? Oh, my sister took her to the fair. Oh, really? At 6 o'clock in the evening, and I've been at the fair since 11, your sister decides to take her to the fair at 6 o'clock in the evening. This is the same day that you told me that you wanted her in bed by 8, and she's at the fair at 6. It doesn't make any sense to me. Trying to keep her, for, trying to keep her from you or something. Absolutely. So we called that fair, and we found her and the sister. The sister was high as a kite. She had this giant purse. She was spreading. looked like she was just high off something. I, I couldn't even tell you what it was. I could tell you it wasn't alcohol. I can huh. tell you that. Okay? And so, you know, I approached my granddaughter, and I said, oh, I hugged her and everything. And I said, hey, you want some lemonade? You're hungry? You want something to eat? And we proceeded to go to the lemonade stand. Well, she takes off behind us. The sister. And so I was going to steal my grandbaby. Nevertheless, we went on to talking and everything. And she said, uh, we were talking. I said, you know, I don't know what's going on, but, you know, I don't understand why he's being so mean and rude and obnoxious when it comes to the fact that we're trying to find Nikki. Well, I ain't got nothing to do with this S-H-I-T is what she said. And I'm like, huh? What, what do you mean? You don't have nothing to do with this S-H-I-T. So, you know, it, things got a little heated out there. It got a little heated out there at the festival. You know, I had sounds, to grab sounds back like my it. composure. Oh, yeah, I had to grab back my composure because at the end of the day, I'm still a mother and a grandmother. And I'm not going to act a total idiot in public, okay? So I draw back from this situation. But she took it a little further. She went and told her brother that we jumped on her at the fair and this and that and the other. And I'm saying to myself, who does this? And he called and he threatened my son. And so I had my son to call the police department and make a police report. 
because I don't know what is up his sleeve, but I wanted to set the record straight. My son did not want to do it. I said, oh, yes, you are, because at the end of the day, if he makes some type of complaint or like you threatened to kill him or attempted to kill him or something, you're going to jail. And so we have this on record already. Then it's nothing he can be able to do. And of course, it came to that. The police came to arrest my son. And the only thing saved him was me pulling up that police report and giving him the police report number. And they let my son go. And they said, we see what's going on here. Donna, where can people find more uh, about uh, Nikki's disappearance. You have a, I know you have a Facebook page and some other things set up for her. Why don't you tell the yes, listeners a, where you can find that? Yes, I have a Facebook page. It's called Help Find Pamela Nikki Wells. And it's on Facebook. And I also have another page. It's www.helpfindnikkiwellsblogspot.com. I've been there too, yeah. And that's the page that I set up early on. Um, try to get it back rejuvenated because someone hacked into it and hacked into the account that I had set up for donations and that things of that nature because I do have a t-shirt fund that I have Nikki's picture on and, uh, you know, scripture and a very nice t-shirt. And I sell those in keeping the funding for me to get back and forth to the city of Detroit. Well, it hasn't been going well, and I really haven't been, you know, mm-hmm. putting it out there as tough as I should because that is not my main concern of collecting a donation for whatever. But I would love for people to get interested in wearing one of her T-shirts to bring more awareness. And that money, the donation from the T-shirt, is put into a fund. Um, hopefully, I would never have to use the fund when it gets set up again. Um because, in, in, you know, just in case we find her and she's safe, well, she's going to need a new beginning. You know what I'm saying? She's going to need a new way to do things. And that money could help her, you know, get set up in some type of way, never know what the money could be used for. Whatever the money is going to be used for is going to be pertaining to Tamla Nikki Wells. You know, and she also, okay. like, again, she has a daughter. And I can't exclude a daughter just because of the fact that the father is an idiot, okay, and he's manipulating and controlling. I never know when this little girl is going to call me and tell me, Grandma, please come and get me. Or, Grandma, I'm here and I need your help. And I am not able to do that because I took a lot out of our family funding and savings to keep flying back to the city of Detroit. And it's put me in a bind, you know. It's put me in a real pickle. But at the end of the day, I know God is the head of my life, and I shouldn't even have to fret about things like that. And that's just why I don't push it as much as I can, because I don't want people to think that it's all about collecting a dollar. It's not. No, I know it's it's not. We know. People know that. People know that. It's about finding her, you know. And I I wish I would have been doing this from the beginning, but I wasn't. And again, I did start a funding, and it was doing pretty well, but somebody hacked it and got into my account and took the money. And so I didn't know how I can, you know, 
switch it off and try to do it again. I haven't had a lot of time to really sit and computerize all of this stuff because I'm really okay. not that computerly smart, you know. All but right. Nevertheless, yeah. All uh, right, That's Donna. pretty much what it is. I appreciate you uh, calling and helping me out here. And I just hope that the listeners, somebody hears and somebody knows something and somebody be willing to step up and tell us what it is that they know. And that's why I do this. That's the only reason I do it. Donna, thank you for being on this episode of Unfound. I thank you so much for calling me and letting me be a part of it, okay? You're welcome. And that was my interview with Donna Davis, the mother of Tamala Nicole Wells. I thank her for being on the program. You certainly don't need me to describe the pain you hear in Donna's voice. Whether you're listening in your car, the subway, on headphones, off your phone, her sorrow is evident. And she'll tell you that it's her faith in God that has gotten her through to this point. But here in the material world, she needs help from us. She needs more help from the police, more help from those who know Ricky Tennant. She needs some of his family to open up, maybe even that wife or ex-wife of his. Lots of men are in jail because their women finally told the truth about crimes their men were committing. Maybe that can happen here. Until then, at least the public will know what kind of guy he is. My guess is he is trying to pick up young women as I record this, wanting to control them just like he controlled Nikki. My message to those women, stay away from him, far away. And if anyone has any ideas what can be done regarding Nikki's case, please contact Donna. She is in the Unfound Podcast Discussion Group. Please reach out to her. Next, as I stated earlier in this episode, I have an interview I conducted with Stephen Huba from Pittsburgh's Tribune Review. He and I are working together to cover older missing persons cases in western Pennsylvania. These articles will come out once a month. You will be able to read the first one, the disappearance of Amy Pugner at triblive.com on Sunday, January 28th. It will also be in the printed edition if you happen to live in the Pittsburgh area. This begins a collaboration between Unfound and Trib Total Media that will continue throughout 2018 and hopefully much further. And now my interview with Stephen Huba. I'm very happy to have on this episode of Unfound the writer that I'm working with on missing persons cases in Western Pittsburgh. Pennsylvania, Stephen Huba. Stephen, welcome to Unfound. Thank you. Let's do this first. First, I need to thank you for the great article uh, in this past Sunday's uh, Tribune Review. Uh, I really appreciate it. I thought you did a great job. Of course, I'm an interested party being that it was about me, but I thought you did a great job. I deeply thank you for that. No problem. (laughs) Now you, about now we're going to flip it around, I get to interview you. Why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, maybe your education, and working um, in media? Oh, okay. Well, um, I'm mostly from uh, Ohio. I've lived in Ohio most of my life, but uh, I'm now working for a newspaper in western Pennsylvania near Pittsburgh. And... um, I've worked in newspaper journalism for about 30 years, um, and uh, the newspaper industry has changed a lot in those yeah. those years. 
Um, I've worked for different size newspapers and uh, mostly daily newspapers and have covered a, a variety of beats and subjects, uh, everything from religion to higher education to business to economic development to local government, um, just a, a variety of subjects. But uh, it's something that I've always thought of as more a calling than just a job. And you went to college for that? You went to school for journalism? Yeah, I went to Ohio University in Athens, Ohio. Oh, okay. Uh, to the Scripps School of Journalism, and um, pretty much knew since middle school that that's where I wanted to go and that's what I wanted to do. So. Wow, that's fascinating. Whole way back then. Okay. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, and so, in your experience, being that this is a true crime show, you and I are working on missing persons disappearances um mm -hmm. in your background have you covered any maybe murder cases anything like what we're doing together now in, in yeah your I, I have done my fair share of coverage of uh, criminal courts and um, law enforcement over the course of my career um, that's in, that's been included in, in some of the beats that i've covered so I have covered my fair share of um, uh, trials, even some high-profile murder trials, and uh, I'm pretty familiar with the rudiments of police procedure when it comes to investigations, and also I'm pretty familiar with the court system, especially the criminal courts and how they work and how cases uh, you know, move their way up from from criminal charges all the way to, uh, you know, disposition of the case. So is there uh, maybe uh, a case that you covered maybe within the last five, seven years that really sticks out to you? Maybe one that even <clears throat> listeners who don't maybe live in the Pittsburgh area might have heard about something that was fairly high profile in the area, something that jumps out at you. Not, not in the Pittsburgh area. Um, there was a case that I covered about four years ago out of the northern panhandle of West Virginia, um, which was my territory for another newspaper I was working for Okay. that involved a, a woman who um, was a, a dog breeder and um, a well-respected um, dog show judge. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the, a breed called Havanese. I'm not. They're uh, they're small. They're small dogs, and uh, they have long hair, and um, they're referred to as Havanese. And uh, she was uh, investigated by local authorities um, for um, for the way for mis mistreating some of her dogs, and um, that was a case that got a lot of attention at the time. And uh, her dogs were taken away from her, and it was uh, it was a, just kind of a sad case. Um, mm -hmm. Some time ago, like back in the early '90s, there was a pretty high-profile case out of southeastern Ohio, uh, near not too far from Columbus, um, involving uh, a, 
a husband and wife who were charged in connection with the death of, uh, I think it was like a three-year-old son. Mm. Um, and the, the family lived in just horrific conditions and they had a, a number of children and this was their youngest. And um, he had been, he had been scalded um, and then died from his injuries and then had been buried underneath the oh family's my. trailer. Oh and then the, the local authorities got wind of it. And it, I forget whether it was a capital case or not, but it was, it was a pretty high profile case, but that goes back a few years. Okay. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like a, horrible case and it it seems like those stories still continue to this day you know parents you know of course there was yeah. the just that recent story out in California about multiple children that were chained you know out there you know mm-hmm. for years uh just just a horrible maybe you can give the the listeners a little bit of background just how does that work you're a reporter how do you get certain stories and you have uh, an editor, Jim, who is also working with us on this. Um, how do you two work together? How are stories actually, I don't know, if, are they handed out? Maybe you could give people who don't know anything about journalism uh, how that works in the Trib uh, newsroom. Oh, okay. Yeah, most of the reporters here have beats that are geographic or by subject matter, like somebody might cover higher education or somebody might cover the oil and gas industry, which is really big around here. Yeah. Right. Um, And so a a lot of times reporters generate their own stories just based on their own knowledge of their beat. And uh, the more time you spend on the beat, the more familiar you get with the subject matter and you almost become an expert in that subject matter. And you have a lot of sources, a lot of people, that you know and, and hope, who you hopefully have built up rapport and trust with. So uh, in my case here, I'm, I'm more of a generalist. I'm, I'm more general assignment. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily have a beat. So I would say about 50% of the stories that I do, I come up with on my own. And then about 50% are assigned to me by editors. And um, from day to day, it really can vary widely. Um, Mm -hmm. But here I've covered, uh, like I said before, I've done some religion writing. uh, I've done some stories on uh, the oil and gas industry, on veterans issues, on uh, economic development. Um, And so... I would say for the most part, reporters come up with their own story ideas, but um, the editors also do a fair share of assigning of stories. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you might need to turn something around for the next day. And other times, if it's a little more involved, it, it might take a few days you know, to pull the story together. And Jim Borden is the other guy that, uh, you and I, of course, you work with him. I've gotten to know him. The three of us, us have gone through the list of these Western Pennsylvania cases. Is that what actually his title is, editor? Is that what he actually does? Does you know? I, I'm a book writer. I have a personal editor who I've written some novels. She edits my novels. Is that the same kind kind of situation you have with him? He is the managing editor, managing. and okay. so he is. Uh, he's 
my supervisor and, and he's the one I go to regularly to talk about story ideas with. We, we did that as recently as yesterday. Mm-hmm. And um, he um, pretty much oversees the newsroom and uh, the direction of the newsroom and, you know, kind of keeps tabs on what, what people are, are working on and um, helps manage the flow of the con- the news content from day to day along with a number of other editors. Um, so that's kind of his role. Okay. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. Now we move to uh, the first case that we picked out, and it's the disappearance of Amy Pugner. She disappeared in June of 2010. Why don't you give the listeners just maybe a little bit of a general overview of the facts of the case, and then we're going to talk about how you actually went out there and and spoke to our family. We'll, we'll get into a little bit of that. How about first the facts? Okay. And this is based mostly on a um, conversation that I had with um, the okay. family last week. Okay. Um, I met with uh, her three sisters and her father, and um, they uh, they pretty much told me what went down, and this was back, like you said, in June 2010. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amy Pugner is from Latrobe, Pennsylvania, which is in Westmoreland County, which is where I work out of. And uh, some people may know Latrobe from uh, Rolling Rock Beer. That's right. Uh, right. It used to be brew- brewed there years ago. It no longer is. That's right. And uh, I believe she at one time even worked at the brewery. Um so she is from Latrobe. She um, had has three children, um, and um, kind of a, kind of a troubled history. Um, the family told me that she um, had some history of mental illness and uh, substance abuse problems. Um, that she had spent some time in jail and in treatment. Two thousand nine. Uh, one of her sisters uh, made arrangements for her to uh, go to Washington, Pennsylvania, which is one county over. Um, it's south of Pittsburgh. South of Pittsburgh, yeah. Right. To She found a bed for her at a treatment facility and um, drove Amy down there, uh, but she didn't stay there long. Probably something that I've not run into yet. You, of course, have years of reporting experience. In Amy's case, we have this issue of some sort of ransom. Have you ever run into that before in any of the the crimes that you've covered? I certainly have not yet. Have you? Uh, I have not, no. And this struck me almost as like a quasi-kidnapping case. Because there there were phone calls from someone asking for money, and uh, a specific amount, which was thirty thousand dollars, and saying that um, if the money was not forthcoming, that Amy Amy's life was in danger, it was threatened. Mm-hmm. So this struck me almost as uh, like a kidnapping case, not just a pure. Uh, missing person or disappearance case. I agree. I agree. And once again, the listeners are reminding them, you're uh, a guy who has been doing reporting for a while. You went to school for it. 
And in all your travels, this is the first time you've ever heard of something like this. It's almost like – I think there was even an episode of Columbo going way back to the 1970s that was something like this. And uh, it's it's very unique. Um, what was it like sitting there? I'm, I'm guessing that you've gotten to sit in a room with families who have been affected by murders, disappearance. This is um, – in the past, what was it like there sitting with Amy's family? Oh, yeah, like I said, we met last week, and um, they were very, um, very hospitable. Uh, we sat around a table in the kitchen uh, there in Latrobe, and um, they were very, they were very forthcoming with me, very honest. Um, like I said, I met with Amy's three sisters and her father, and they uh, they pretty much answered all my questions. There were there were some um, there were some discrepancies, mostly I would say from um, the fact that this happened eight years ago. You know, yeah. so people yeah. after a while, your memory becomes fuzzy. Yeah, and uh, true. So like. For example, the sisters weren't quite sure um, how long she had actually been in Washington before she disappeared. And about the best we can come up with is um, about six months um, because they remember meeting her boyfriend um, at Christmas time of 2009. Mm -hmm. And... um, she would have met him most likely in Washington. So we know she was living in Washington at least as far back as Christmas time of 2009, where she disappeared June 9th or 10th and 2010. So she had been in Washington for about six months, maybe more. Yeah, and do, and do we know this uh, boyfriend's name? The, the guy that she had brought back, I guess, back to La Trobe, for Christmas in December of 2009. Yes, his name was John Martin. Okay. And and they said that he had worked for a drilling company in Washington County um, on a drilling rig. And, um, you know, with a job like that, you you tend to move around a lot. Mm. And um, they talked to him, they knew him a little bit. They talked to him around the time of her disappearance and even afterward. Um, Apparently he also was questioned by the Washington police Mm. in the city of Washington, Um, but they have not been in contact with him in recent years. Okay. And like you said, with the oil and gas industry, those guys do move around quite a bit. So Mm -hmm. if, if he's not in the Washington PA area anymore, maybe it's something a little suspicious because He's not in the area anymore, and she disappeared on uh, in June of 2010. But it could be that he has to go where the work is. He could be in North Dakota now, which is big for oil and gas now, or any or another section of Pennsylvania. We just don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've I've tried to reach him using a phone number that goes back to the time of her disappearance. So there's just there's just no telling as to the accuracy of the phone number. Okay. Okay. Not, it should be stated. As far as I know, he's not a suspect or anything like that. He was simply questioned. Um, he and he was Amy's 
boyfriend at the time and the family he's someone that the family would like to speak to again I can say that much okay so listeners i urge you to go to triblive.com it's going to be on um on the website it's going to be in the print edition uh, as well the disappearance of amy pugner it's going to be a thorough a story of her disappearance just as thorough thorough as we do on unfound and I'm going to be continuing to work with Steve. Um, put out another story in February, March. Uh, we're going to be doing a, a monthly column covering a disappearance in western Pennsylvania. And you can expect Steve to be on here the Friday before those articles uh, come out. Steve, um, it's been a pleasure working with you uh, so far. Any last words um, before we end the interview? I just hope that... This story and, and the others that we do um, maybe move these cases forward. Uh, most of these are cold cases, sometimes going back years. They so are. Yep. I'm hoping that maybe it'll jar something loose and um, lead to more information as to Amy's whereabouts and, and um, the whereabouts of other people. Because you know, obviously there are loved ones out there who who are very concerned. Yeah, they're, they're, they're hurting. And I know I get from a lot of the interviews that I do, and maybe Amy's family said the same thing. The worst part of it is the not knowing, you know, yeah, just mm -hmm. not knowing where she is. She could be out there alive somewhere. We just don't know. And it's the not knowing that really, I think tears families apart. Mm -hmm. Steve, I look forward uh, to the article uh, on Sunday and I look forward to uh, working with you um, some more on these future cases. Thanks for being on this episode of Unfound. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Thank you to Stephen for being on the program. You can expect to hear from him every Friday before one of his missing persons articles comes out. We'll give you a preview of the case each time. But we'll also talk about other aspects of covering stories like these. And that's the program. If you found it informative, please go to the app that you use to listen to Unfound and give this podcast a five-star review. I thank you for listening. I'm Ed Denzel, and you've been listening to Unfound.